sometimes compliance officers can think of it in terms of just suppliers. But the risks aren't just with suppliers. Some of those risks can also be from partners, you know, your channel partners, distribution partners, etc. And some of this could be with some of your clients. Welcome to the Innovation and in Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today, we're going to take a really interesting exploration into parts of an effective compliance program with Jared Azell. Jared, first of all, welcome. I think you have been on a pod. We've met a long, long time ago. So whatever it is, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. Looking forward to it. So Jared, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background and what you're up to these days? Yeah, so professionally, have been in the area of risk and compliance for just over 20 years. Large portion of that was with a large global data provider. More recently, it's been with a, a pure technology player in the space company called Serta that grew up in the workflow automation environment and supporting many of our early clients in the anti-bribery, anti-corruption type of use case from a controls framework perspective. Could you tell us a little bit about Serta in terms of what's your product and or services and who do you service? Yeah, so about the company ourselves, we are a been in business for almost 10 years. At our core, we're no-code workflow automation. So we're agnostic to use case. We're agnostic to integrations. We bespoke design around client A's program, which is almost always different than client B or C. That's at our core. 90% of service clients are leveraging us for some version of a compliance use case, whether it's ABAC or on the customer side of the coin, KYC, AML. Our clients definitely range both in size as well as across industries. So there's nothing about SERTA that is industry specific or geo specific, but we're heavily weighted towards the large global enterprise clients, definitely. So very large retailers, very large manufacturers, payment processors, so on and so forth. Jared, you guys have developed what you call nine signs of an effective anti-bribery and anti-corruption compliance program. Hopefully everyone listening to this podcast knows about the 10 hallmarks of an effective compliance program. Now this the hallmarks, but that's not the direction you guys have gone in. So I'm really intrigued to hear from the CERTA perspective what are some of the key elements of an effective compliance program? And then we're going to talk about how compliance professionals can start to integrate those. So I'm going to sort of turn it over to you. Yeah, sounds good. This is definitely going to sound different than the hallmark of an effective compliance program that most practitioners are used to and comfortable with. This is more around as we engage with clients and potential clients around either starting an ABAC program and or optimizing their controls of an existing, what very often comes up as the ask and or the requirements they're looking to solve. So what we did is we looked across our existing client base and really summed it down to common threads or common themes of key items. We often refer to these as dimensions of an ABAC program. And so happy to dig in to any of these as they resonate. But yeah, the first one is the concept of risk tiering, leveraging the available 
data that comes from a business requester, that comes from the third party themselves, that may come from a data partner of choice to appropriately assess the risk of this third party. And then that risk helping to inform a risk-appropriate journey, decisioning, certifications, training of the third party themselves as well. I see Jag is joined. Glad you made it. Hello, Jag. We just started going through the nine elements that CERTA has developed for an effective compliance program, and we actually just got through the first one, which I wrote down was risk tiering. So a propitious time to come in, and I'll just, we're going to go through all nine. So I will leave it to you guys to figure out which gets which. Yep. I'll keep jumping through them, and Jag, please weigh in. The other is leveraging of external third-party data partners. So minimizing dependency and reliance on third-party self-disclosures only. In this day and age, the availability of data is a plenty. There's a lot of great partners out there that can serve up very valuable intelligence on third parties, who runs them, who owns them, who are the related individuals, what the various risk signals may be. And so leveraging those third parties integrated into your program and fueling risk scorecards as much as possible is a common one. The other is just good old full continuum due diligence, making sure that the overall program is designed to handle low risk, medium risk, high risk. Not all risks are created equal. So leveraging the data to properly inform the degree of due diligence scope. That helps to make sure you're covering the controls bases, but it also helps to make sure you're making the most of your internal assets. No point in having a deluge of potential compliance alerts reviewed on risk levels for low-risk entities that may not be appropriate versus where they are for higher risk, as an example. Fourth is training. Integration of appropriate training within the overall AVAC program across the third parties. What we see very often is an absence of a single pane of glass solution, such as CERTA. Very often, there's a swivel chair or there's a manual handoff to a third party around, we'll go here to complete training, and then there's a manual attempt at closing the loop as well as training completed. How did they perform? How do we update that training has been completed within our program or policies and procedures? And so having that as an integrated component within the overall solution is definitely something that we often hear as a pain point and that our clients are looking to solve for. Fifth is ongoing monitoring. And so their risk tiers can change. Third parties may be low risk day one, day 90, CFO gets arrested for bribery, or there's a merger and acquisition. So there's a new ultimate beneficial owner in the mix that, oh, by the way, that you both sits in a high risk country. Or there's an AP transaction that is higher than the norm that needs to be triggered for ongoing review. So just the idea of having a risk-appropriate monitoring framework that's integrated with systems and integrated with public source data to monitor the risk of that third party for any shifts that change how you want to treat that third party is another key common practice we see. Next was payment controls. And what we often hear and refer to as closed loop payment controls. So the idea of as compliance is vetting third parties and monitoring third parties, when and if there is a shift in risk, the ability to systematically enforce payment controls. So we have some clients that as they're monitoring their third parties today, if there's a, call it a PEP alert that gets triggered, 
we'll systematically put a payment hold on that third party across their ecosystem of payment systems to assure that a payment is not sent until that alert has been cleared by compliance. Same thing with declined records, the ability to make sure that there are proper systematic controls that enforce policy and procedures versus reliance on manual intervention to create those controls. Another is, I uh, mentioned this before, but basically integration with travel and entertainment, you know, making sure that there is this monitoring of spend is key, but also monitoring of, you know, entertainment type of expenses. Are the contacts that maybe the salesperson was meeting with and creating expense around, is there a PEP exposure or government intermediary type of exposure that was not properly pre-approved, pre-vetted? that could introduce some risk and or exposure. Next one is charitable donations. Similarly, the ability from a risk tiering perspective to also capture ideally as an integrated component with the overall program, whether this entity is a part of a charitable donations exercise, and if so, that then informs and fuels the appropriate level of due diligence and ongoing controls. And then last but not least, a common request for us is the ability to bring an ABAC program into and integrated into an overall, what we call a core third-party risk management lifecycle program. So not all third parties, not all suppliers are high risk, medium risk, or compliance sensitive. So finding a way to integrate and optimize an ABAC controls framework but do it in a form and fashion that is seamless to the standard day-to-day onboarding and ongoing monitoring of a third party for a client. And do that in a way that is tuned to how client A goes to market, which is very often different than client B or C. So very high level, but those are a quick rundown of the nine dimensions. So I heard two, maybe three key themes, at least to me. The first one is the use of technology to cut across silos to take a large amount of data, basically see the patterns and rake leaves, but it doesn't end with data. It also has a key controls component. So I was particularly thrilled, frankly, you mentioned payment controls because I'm just editing my next edition of my handbook and I have a section on payments as a key component of a compliance program. And I don't think we talk about that in the compliance world enough. And we talk about third parties and maybe looking at invoices. Well, nobody talks about payments, but it's not just payments. You also had the systemic controls in place to mandate that if a payment is out of scope, it gets kicked back on an automated basis. So we're seeing a minimum wage accounts payable clerk to look at every invoice and figure out, oh, here's my list of things to look for, and here's my invoice, do they match? And then the final part is really what you ended with, which may be the most significant, is, and I'm probably as guilty of this as anyone, which is your ABAC program is your compliance program. Well, maybe, but why not take a step back and look at a broader risk management program and think about the risk your company has. Yes, you can have an anti-corruption risk, Yes, you could have a supplier or vendor risk. They maybe have different focuses, and you need to have the flexibility or at least the ability to look at the different components of how you do business and 
put your risk management strategy in place to do that. So I don't know if you guys agree with those three themes or you see others, but I'd like to maybe get your thoughts on how you think about this in a holistic way. And, and Jack, we're going to pick on you since you're now here. I love it. So in terms of the holistic way, I think of it in three dimension of how sort of complete the solution needs to be. So the first dimension is full spectrum risk management. So what that means is the compliance program and the software that you use to implement your compliance program needs to cover not just compliance risk because then it becomes a bit siloed, but it should also have the capability to extend to other risks like privacy, like ESG, like sometimes even infosec and you know financial risks. So the way we think about you know some of these, if you will, third-party management is, of course, it needs to have all the things about compliance, but it needs to have full spectrum, you know, cover the full spectrum of risk domains. Number two, and you touched upon that a little bit just now, which is the full life cycle of the third party. So what that means is everything from onboarding to monitoring to offboarding, but within monitoring, all the payment controls that come with it and all the controls framework that need to be applied, not just during onboarding, but also during monitoring and also during offboarding. So full life cycle. The third way we think about this in a sort of a holistic way and you know, try to address this in a holistic manner is sometimes compliance officers can think of it in terms of just suppliers, but the risks aren't just with suppliers. Some of those risks can also be from partners, you know, your channel partners, distribution partners, et cetera. And some of this could be with some of your clients. We have clients who've actually suffered consequences of working with the wrong client. So we think of it in terms of full spectrum of third parties. So all third parties, full life cycle, and all risk domains. So these are the three dimensions in which, you know, sort of we try to make it a holistic end-to-end solution. And what we see is if clients don't do this, then there are siloed solutions, some sort of semi-automated, sort of, you know, semi-manual solutions that are in place. And that causes a lot of pain. That causes pain in terms of, one, of course, is inefficiency. Two, just consistently managing risk doesn't happen because you're, you know, whenever you introduce anything manual. Third, in terms of audits, it's an issue. So many of these risk areas are intertwined, right? If you identify something in compliance or privacy, you want to make sure it's covered contractually. We find so many problems go away if you address this in a more holistic manner. I think just the fourth theme that, you know, we've kind of touched upon, but really not hit hard, which is agility of your technology to adapt to your changing processes, your changing regulations. Every few months, we see some change or a new regulation that comes out from some country. So for example, the recent like German supply chain law, it starts going active this year, two years ago, it was the UK supply chain law, right? So there's so many changes that are happening externally. And of course, internally, companies are trying to optimize, right? So our approach has been, you know, it's a no-code technology, which means we are drag and drop. You can make changes to your control frameworks, to your data sources, add, if you will, additional risk domains, add additional phases to your compliance program. So I do strongly feel like any technology that clients choose should be extendable 
to multiple risk areas, multiple types of third parties, multiple phases of the life cycle. Let me change the focus just a little bit. Do you sometimes get the following from a customer, a potential customer, what in order I can't go through with all of this all at once? Can you help me think through either a prioritizing or doing some sort of internal analysis to see what I already have in place and then start to utilize that? How do you keep a client from being overwhelmed in this situation? So it's a great, great point, Tom. It has to be a modular rollout. Previously, I was at McKinsey, and I've seen these massive sort of transformation projects often fail because they just keep going on and on and on. So it has to be a modular rollout. And Jared can speak to it a little bit more, but we work with clients as to determine the highest pain point that we can go live with and solve and automate within three months. And then it's a phased rollout beyond it. And any technology, I think, that takes more than three months to go live, I think clients, companies should treat that with suspicion just because historically, any project that goes over six months is at risk. It's just been proven time and again. So time to go live and time to first value for the customer is a massive metric within Serta. But Jared, anything to add to this? The only other color I'll add to the other portion of your question, Tom, is there definitely are scenarios to where we'll help process review for the client what's low-hanging fruit versus what is higher left and use that to inform this phase rollout, this evolution of a program stand-up and or optimization versus the kitchen sink, bully ocean risk that Jag reference. Definitely there is there's the ability and the appetite strongly from clients to say, hey, come in and help us understand where we're strong, where we have weakness areas, where we have the ability to automate, where we're currently manually intervening, intervening, and those are perfect type of scenarios. How do you help a client document this process? So one, they'll have you know, an internal roadmap if some new parties come in or uh, new employees come in or there's a change, more importantly, if the regulators come knocking, say, we found some weaknesses, we think you may have weaknesses, and you as the client can say, or the customer can say, well, we have recognized these weaknesses, and we're actually moving towards remediation. How do you help a client to put that type of documentation together? We typically do not play at sort of the role of the creation of that documentation, but we're absolutely a voice and input into it. We help them evidence defensible positioning to the regulator when they come knocking, as an example, through the design, the workflow, the controls framework of the system that in support of their policies and procedures that they can documentary evidence around to that regulator or that auditor that may be knocking on the door. There's audit logs, there's history, there's design. For many of our clients, there's literally within their policies and procedures documentation the screenshot of how the system itself supports that policy systematically. I think the only thing I would add to this is often clients come to us with the initial documentation and invariably that evolves. As efficient, etc. So the paper documents often become outdated quickly. What we've done at Serta is our no-code studio serves as the master record of the client's controls. 
So our no-code studio actually looks like a workflow. And what happens is that if for the latest controls, the latest data sources, the latest sort of workflow, clients, you know, an auditor scan, go to sort of no-code studio and get an always updated end-to-end process flow of how the client's controls work today, which is, I think, the more important part. Initial documentation, clients can do it, a consulting firm can do it. It's the keeping it up to date, which is the bigger pain point. And we do an amazing job of that through the studio. Keeping it up to date brings up another point that I wanted to explore in a little more depth with you guys, which is I heard several times, Jared, you talk about ongoing. Obviously, you talked about ongoing monitoring, but you also talked about a full continuum due diligence. And you talked several times about the entire life cycle of either a third-party relationship, business venture relationship, or something else. So I heard a lot of discussion about what I like to say is in the life cycle of a third-party business relationship, the point where you sign the contract is actually where your work starts because then you have to monitor. You have to have ongoing monitoring and you have to work to make sure that that third party, that customer, that client, whoever it may be, is not only satisfied, but is actually in compliance with your program. So I was wondering if we can conclude with some thoughts about what I heard is continuum, ongoing monitoring, and looking at things really through an entire life cycle and not point by point, focusing so much on point by point by point, you don't see this bigger picture. There are two components to monitoring, Tom, the way you know, I look at it. Maybe like two and a half or three components. The first is making sure that, that the monitoring data sources and the processes are in place. So, you know, you could monitor based on external third-party data sources. So, of course, you know, EMB, LexisNexis, Moody's, et cetera, right? Dow Jones, et cetera. And you can monitor based on manual inputs from the folks who work with these third parties saying, oh, I've seen a deterioration of XYZ or, you know, I've seen, et cetera. So one part is having those, those sort of sources in place, the inputs in place. The second part of this is ensuring that the controls framework, again, is in place for someone to action on some of this information. The way our clients deal with it typically is to differentiate between FYI alerts and must take action alerts. And must take action basically create specific tasks within CERDA that you have to action. And finally, I know we hit this point a few times, but automated controls help immensely. For example, if there are any alerts that are egregious enough that you need to either stop payments or, you know, initiate additional training flow or additional reviews from your legal group, then those controls need to be automated. So I think making sure that you're catching, if you will, all the inputs, making sure that you're processing these inputs in a structured manner, and the inputs that need to be actioned are either actually assigned to someone's task queue and reminded and escalated, et cetera, if the person doesn't act, or automated via a system control like payment law. The only other thing I'll add to it, and Jag alluded to this a couple of times, but nothing happens in an ideal program in a silo. So as CERTA is facilitating this persistent ongoing monitoring, as needed, there will be notifications and messages and system integrations that automatically trigger to do things such as payment blocks and or queue up certain key stakeholders to review areas of risk or liability or make certain decisions. So 
the idea of making sure that we're breaking out and breaking down any silos while at the same time removing swivel chair from application to application to get the job done is a key opportunity area that we hear from many of our clients. Well, gentlemen, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask if any of our listeners wanted to link up with one or both of you guys or find out any more about the topics we've touched on for this podcast, how would be the best way for them to do so? Yeah, so both Jack and I are obviously on LinkedIn. The other way would be www.getserta.com, our website, and the ability to find further information about CERTA as well as submit a request to connect with with Jag or I or anyone on our team to help dig in deeper. Of course, and our email address is very simple. Mine is jag at getserta.com. So always happy to talk compliance. Well, gentlemen, this has been just great, and I hope we can continue this conversation. Likewise. Thanks for having us, Tom. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.